0: You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, it's been a few weeks since we've had this genius in the room. It's Carlo Bordi. We are talking tax, of course. Carlo The finance space interest rates have been running havoc through a lot of people's disposable incomes recently. They're having a look possibly, hopefully, at refinancing their loans. They're always looking at what they can and can't deduct as well. I thought I'd get you in to have a bit more of a conversation about the details on a few of the wrinkles you're seeing. You're talking to me about over the phone on a weekly basis where other clients you've got are getting caught out on different things, opportunities you're seeing, split loans, all these things that come out. You can obviously have a chat with your mortgage broker about this, but at the end of the day, it's your accountant who's going to be trying to reap the benefits for you on the deductions, right?
1: Morning Trent, look, absolutely. Obviously, the topical issue right now with what's happening in the market is every time you blink or every four weeks, interest rates are going up. I think it's it's important for people to understand the direct and indirect implications of this, especially in relation to them having an investment property.
0: That's really the first part of the equation here, isn't it, is that you can't deduct your interest on your family home, home loan, can you?
1: No, no. O- obviously, if it's your family home, you're looking at reducing that as well. And some of these comments that I'm making today are very reflective on that. But more importantly, with a rental property, in 99% of the cases, the biggest cost in having a rental property is your loan and
0: your interest. In terms of your annual expenses. Yeah. You've got insurance, you've got your rates, your shire rates, your water rates, land tax possibly is is a cost for you as well. But interest, you're right, if you've got a loan, it's normally the biggest piece of the pie, isn't it?
1: Oh, look, absolutely. And look, a lot of people when they go and buy a property, they look at the tax side of it and saying, I want a negatively geared property to claim the losses on my tax return, which is great and that's fantastic on the basis that when you go to sell that property, you're going to pay tax. And what I mean by that is, it's not just having a property that's lost your money along the way and claiming a deduction for it and then when you sell it, you don't make any money on it. So you're that's actually not, going backwards.
0: It's such a misguided thing. You should never be buying a property for negative gearing benefits. You should be enjoying, if you have to, the tax shield of negative gearing benefits if you're in a situation where the property investment costs you more on an annual basis than the income coming in from rent it shouldn't be your goal it's a safety net at the end of the day isn't it
1: well it's a short-term goal but i think the long-term goal should be i'm buying this property to get a deduction while i'm holding it but then when i sell it i'm going to make a killing on it and i'm going to pay capital gains but that's fine because that's extra money in my pocket at the end of the day
0: isn't the best scenario where not only have you made money from capital gains from the value of that property increasing over time but also on an annual basis, you're in a situation where the rent is more than your costs?
1: Oh, look, ultimately, the only reason why you should have a loan on a rental property is because you've got other debts or you just haven't got the money to fund that. If you've got money to fund that purchase, either through uh, an equity line or or, or whatever, you should always be in a position where you minimise your costs. And interest if it can be minimised by not having a loan if you don't need it, Then you don't have it.
0: Well, it's become more prevalent in the last few months, hasn't it? Most people have been sitting on investment loans of two point something percent six months ago. And now a lot of people will be in a position where they're paying four and a half percent and that's really a doubling of their interest payments right what it might have cost eighteen twenty thousand dollars in interest for your average investment loan that's now sitting up in the 30s
1: with rental returns increasing as well what has cost you an interest far outstrips the extra rent you're collecting so you're actually worse off
0: well, that's the whole point of negative gearing right so if it gets in a situation where your interest expense or any expenses really and we'll talk about how they are treated today it becomes more than the income you get from rent, then there is, just like any other business, uh, an ability to claim a portion of that loss back based on your effective tax rate for that year or the rest of your income, right? Yeah, and
1: look, the the way to look at that is the very most you're going to get back out of a, a loss is 47%. That means you're earning over $180,000. And most people who invest in properties don't necessarily earn that much, so they're getting less of that back.
0: Mm. All right, well, let's talk with about the first topic today. What do you got?
1: Okay, well... I think we're going to stick with interest rates being going up. So what should we be looking at? So I think you've got to understand the deductibility in relation to these loans. So what happens is if you decide to change um, loan, then you're going to have certain costs. So let's costs. say going
0: from NAB to Bankwest or yeah, the other yeah. way around?
1: Now, obviously, look, I know that through your your structure, trend, you also are a broker and you can assist people with doing this. And brokers normally look at all different avenues and different banks and what they're lending to get the best deal. But irrespective of that, when you exit a loan, there are certain costs in leaving that old loan. And when you enter a loan, there are also new costs. Uh, so, for example, if you're entering a new loan, there's going to be bank charges to set up. There's going to be stamp duty on the loan, and if you don't have enough of a percentage in relation to the value of the property, that you could be charged lenders' mortgage insurance. That's pretty expensive. That could cost you, I don't know, between eight to sixteen thousand dollars. Yep,
0: I've seen it be more than that, definitely. Yeah. But that sits on top of the yeah. loan. Generally, most people will capitalise that into the loan. They won't pay that as a cash cost up front, right? They won't, but what happens
1: deductibility wise, the commissioner only allows you to claim that over 5 years. So, you know, if you're spending $15,000 on the lender's mortgage insurance, then you're only going to get $3,000 deduction per year.
0: So it's sort of amortizing it over a period like it's a depreciable asset being an air conditioner or something that you've built. What's, what's that all about? Why has the ATO treated it that way and not just a normal expense you can claim in the year that you incurred it?
1: They defined the lender's mortgage insurance as a borrowing cost and, and the definition for borrowing costs have always been five years or the period of the loan, whichever is the lesser. So if you've got a three-year loan,
0: which we never have,
1: you know, so you claim it over three years. So basically working the sum is going to happen five years. And sometimes it actually goes over six because you're never normally going to take a loan out on the 1st of July. So if you take it out in December, well, then you're actually going to straddle six years. Mm. So you can half in the first year and, and uh, the other half the end of it in the final year, year six.
0: So what the point you're making here is that, yes, there are annual interest expenses that you can claim, but a lot of the exit and entry costs to banking discharge fees, registration fees, wealth, all those sort of fees that come with acquiring or divesting from a loan, they're not necessarily uh, expenses that you can claim all upfront on the same year.
1: Well, with you getting out of the old loan, if you've only been in that loan for a short time, whatever you haven't claimed, because let's say you've only claimed two fifths of the of the of the borrowing costs. When you exit that loan, then they become fully deductible. So when you exit the loan, you get all that. It's when you enter the new loan that you have to then claim it over the five-year period.
0: All right. So let's talk about refinances and push it a little bit further. Let's say I've got a $500,000 property, and currently I have a $320,000 loan, and I go to my mortgage broker and say, "Look, I'd like to refinance that $320,000, but I also want to bring it up to $400,000, being 80% of the value of the property." And that $80,000 that sits on top is a cash out for me to buy another property or do what I want with it. How is that treated from a deductibility point of view?
1: Two scenarios that exist with that comment you just made. First of all, if you borrow more than what you need to refinance your old loan, the additional amount that you've borrowed gets quarantined. If it gets applied to another rental property, then as a percentage, it's deductible. However, if the bank simply says, hey, listen, look, we can round it to 450, uh, you need a smaller amount, and the rest of it can put it to your bank account and do whatever you want with, well, then that percentage of that loan that goes to your bank account is non deductible. It's only deductible if you then use those extra funds to acquire another asset that is deductible, whether it be shares or whether it be property. How do we prove
0: that just by bank transfers to say, oh, well, we have that spare 80 grand <laughs> and that's gone towards the deposit of the new home?
1: The paper trail shows it. The only problem with that is that. When you do the refinancing, if your bank says, look, here's the extra amount of dollars, and let's say it's $70,000 as an example, and you go, yeah, yeah, let's put it into my bank account, and then okay, in two months' time, I'm actually buying another property, and I'm going to use that as a deposit. That does not make it deductible, because at the point of time when you took the loan out, which is when you do the refinancing, if you don't apply those dollars immediately for the purchase of the new asset, then they are deemed to have gone into your personal private account, and they're private.
0: Geez, that's pretty big, Carlo. That could be a lot of money people are leaving on the table with regards to their deductibility for the rest of their loan's life until they refinance it, right?
1: Look, absolutely. And and look, I've got a couple of other comments I'm going to talk about soon with regards to strategies and maybe using offset facilities which can solve these problems. So it's important that we discuss that. So what happens there is if a bank does give you the facility, one of the things which you're going to refinance is try and select a loan that enables you to have an offset facility and what I mean by an offset facility is whereby whatever you borrow you can then put savings or extra funds that you've got into a separate account and instead of being charged interest on the total loan the interest is charged on the difference between what your loan is compared to what you put into savings. So if I were to put some figures onto this, if you borrowed $450,000 and you got 50,000 cash sitting around and you don't need it, you put it into an offset account. So now the, the bank will be charging interest on the $400,000 loan. And you can do that to the full amount if you want, if you can, great strategy. And But if you need that later on, you can pull it out and it does not affect the deductibility of that loan because technically you've never reduced the loan. All you've done is reduced the interest component and not the uh, not the loan itself
0: with regards to the offset account if i've got my family home which might have an offset account connected to that and my investment property which has an offset account wouldn't i always want to leave my savings in an offset account connected to my family home because i'm therefore maximizing the interest expense sitting on the investment property that i can deduct
1: oh look absolutely in relation to the strategies of an offset with a rental property you only utilize that strategy when you don't need those funds for anything else. So if you've got any personal debt, obviously the first thing you do is you minimise or you reduce or you use an offset facility for your personal
0: debt. Because it has a higher interest rate.
1: Well, the, the reason why you do that is because on a personal debt, there's no tax deduction. Mm. So if, again, if I give you an example, if you had a million-dollar loan of which half of it was for your own house and half of it was a rental property, and you've got uh, $300,000 of, of cash for you received from a deceased estate or something, you have that in an offset facility against your own house, not against the rental property because the rental property is deductible and the house interest is not deductible.
0: Great point. And I think a lot of people would learn from that today. They quickly go and check their online banking just to go, oh shit, where is my offset? Where is my money sitting and against which offset account? Because I hope that I'm not shooting myself in the foot here by leaving money against the property that should be maximizing the interest expense claimability every year.
1: Oh, look, absolutely right. And look, and the ATO are actually really sticklers, and their the audits look at three different main areas. One is interest, uh, interest deductibility. So in other words, is the interest you're claiming correct? They're looking at borrowing expenses. In fact, I have just had recently a, a young gentleman who we claimed $3,500 of borrowing expenses owing to this lender's mortgage insurance that existed, and uh, the ATO just adjusted it down to nothing. And, and their comments were, if we're wrong, let us know and we'll re-amend the assessment notice. So they're they're very radical on this. Mm. Fortunately, the the client's uh, information we'd originally supplied was 100% right and they're in the process now of amending it, but-
0: um, They're in the business now of asking for forgiveness and not permission
1: absolutely and very aggressive very aggressive um why do you think this is I, I'm never, I mean i've been doing this for 40 years and i've never seen that approach ever normally they ring up and they say oh you know is this right have you put it in the wrong box Is there something something funny here and you say look i can send you a copy of the document and it's done There's no adjustment done they just leave it this this new approach is very interesting let's use those words what's the third
0: bucket that they're looking at
1: repairs repairs has always been contentious because mm. people get the mistake of uh claiming uh, improvements as a repair and, and the difference at times may appear uh, subtle but there's definitely a line there that needs to be understood mm. um,
0: i've got a lot of friends who ask me that specific question trent can i get my house repainted and claim it as a repair well this is a uh, it's a hard question for me to answer really because one i'm not an accountant the answer in my understanding is clearly if you're going to get your house repainted that is not a repair, that is ongoing maintenance, right?
1: There's two answers to that question. The first thing is if you buy a house initially and you're saying, I'm going to rent this property out, you spruce it all up. And not only do you paint it all, but you also clean the carpets or you might do some weeding uh, and do some minor little fixes. None of those costs are deductible. They're all called incidental costs that are set up costs from day one. Because the tenant has never made the property worse. You simply bought the house and bought it cheaper because it was in that state. However, if you have got a tenant in there and a tenant was to damage most of the walls and put chips here and put chips there and you decide, look, I'm going to repaint the whole house and then I'm going to re-tenant it and or I'm going to sell it, those costs actually are deductible. See, um,
0: this is where it starts to get a bit grey area. The ATO is never come into your house and checking when it is exactly that the damage was done. Surely there's a bit of pragmatism here on the, even just the timing of getting this work done. If we knew that straight away, even though we knew we needed to make those repairs, we would just leave it six months to 12 months and say it was tenant damage. Well, the problem
1: with that is that in most cases, there's about 90% odd of the houses are all all use agents. And with the agents, they actually do inspection reports and they, they itemize all these things. And that's the
0: level the ATO goes to. Oh, absolutely. They virtually
1: say prove that this was not existing. I mean, I, I had a property which I actually had built and the very first tenant that went in there within six months trash the place. Mm. And I'm talking front doors, internals, externals, put holes everywhere. It cost me $19,000 to bring this house back up to scratch after six months of rental. They're all repairs because it was all done by the tenant.
0: You had to prove that.
1: I I mean, the HO didn't question me on it, and I was surprised that they didn't, but it could be asked, yeah.
0: Is there any data on the percentage of tax returns where investment properties are included in the return that are being audited?
1: 70-odd percent of the audits are done on dobbins. Okay, that's the first thing. Yeah, and that's for all returns. Secondly, the ATI got certain parameters and the software itself identifies potential issues. So the way the returns have to be prepared now, you have to virtually say, look, the property has been available for rent for so many weeks. The property was actually rented for so many weeks and this is what I received in rent and these are my expenses and certain expenses have to be classified into their little boxes and the ato mainly target the interest the borrowing expenses and the repairs so expenses are easy but the reason why they also target the income they might ask a question say okay how many weeks was this property available for rent and how many weeks was it rented And you might say oh the whole year but you've only collected ten thousand dollars in rent yeah that's because um my son lives in there and he looks after it really well Well, then that opens up a whole hornet's nest with the ATO because it's a non lens transaction. Are you charging proper market rent? If you're not, the best case scenario is if you're showing a loss, you're going to be showing a break-even position of that one.
0: What you're saying is the ATO is using big data to find anomalies between last year's transaction, this year's transaction or certain percentage increases.
1: They're using computer software and the computer software automatically spits out, please explain.
0: Let's talk about split loans. a lot of, our clients have had, have a, have still, or have, have moved on to, a fixed rate with a percentage that's variable. A lot of them moving off the fixed rates now, given the fact that those rates are quite expensive in the market these days. But there's still people who, for their own reasons, want a fixed rate. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Look, these, these split loans, where you uh, we lock part of it in and, and part of it's variable, they do have their place. However, the banks normally, when they charge you the interest rate on the fixed loan, they normally get it right for 78% of the time, which means that you lose out as a taxpayer uh, or as a client. However, a lot of the times people do it to have peace of mind to say, look, I know at this rate I can afford it, and if if I if the banks uh, do charge a lot more than that, I'll be in trouble. So I'm locking myself in and giving myself, myself a safety net, basically. Is those
0: people looking to budget and know exactly what their bill is going to be, and possibly pay a premium for that if they they need to.
1: Possibly, and they're trying to play it safe. So they're saying, Mm -hmm. well, I'm happy with this position because I know it's not going to get any worse.
0: That's interesting, that stat you said, 78% of the time the bank wins on a fixed loan. And that's why I always caution people when they look for a fixed loan, especially in times like this, when there's an expectation that the interest rates are going to rise, the banks play on that fear, and they price in that fear premium, I think, with people in a situation where... And people need to think about this if the prevailing rate at the moment is four percent and they're offering you a fixed rate of six percent for two years that means that for you to have one out on that that fixed rate contract you take with the bank the interest will need to have gotten to eight percent for example over that time for it to even out. and what i mean by that is if you're going to have been able to have paid four percent right now but you're going to take a six percent position for two years Well, half the time, the interest rate would be below 6% in the variable space. And the other half of the time, it would be up to as much as above by 2% for it to even out. Does that make sense? It's a big bet that you're making with the bank right now. Therefore, nearly most of our clients have swung back towards a variable rate where they essentially just cop what's going on in the market right now. I would suggest that the last two or three years through COVID, a lot of people won out quite well with fixed fixed rates because banks were going the other way and essentially trying to buy work, buy clients out of the market and providing discounts to do that. It was their marketing ploy in an environment where rates were dropping. When rates are rising, they really do play on your fear and price that premium in. Banks are making a lot of money on fixed rates right now. Uh,
1: and look, I can put my hand up and say I got caught out years ago as well I mean about 20 years ago I had a rental property which was a holiday home and the interest rates back then were seven eight percent and I managed to lock mine in at about 7.6 percent and I thought yes I'm on a winner here and that was for five years and over the period of those five years slowly the rate went down to about uh, 4.8 percent so I couldn't wait for those five years to expire because it was costing me a lot more than if I hadn't have uh, locked that rate in. But look, again, it was a comfort thing back then and it's just something you do and, and uh, you just live with it and you, and you move on.
0: Well, I guess the benefit back then on being an investment property uh, is that you should have been able to deduct a lot of that expense back, right?
1: Again, you get the portion based on your tax bracket. So if you're earning over $180,000, whatever you make as a mistake on that and it's costing you more, you get back 47% of it. it it's 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 a, the it's a silver lining on it and the way to look at it because otherwise you'd be beaten your hit against the,
0: the wall. <laughs> exactly right. What's next?
1: Never, ever use an equity line of credit facility as a deductible loan.
0: So line of credits. Do you see a lot of line of credits with your clients these days? We don't see many.
1: No, but when we do, the the results are horrific. Why is that? I mean, I, I've the, the last one I've done. a uh, Gentleman had the loan for five years. He'd borrowed three hundred thousand dollars, and at the expiry of the five years, when we did the calculation on we what went in and out, only fifty six thousand dollars of that loan of the original three hundred was deductible because of the percentage downgrading of that
0: loan. And how does it get downgraded? Is it because he's using that money for non-investment purposes?
1: The short answer is yes, but also what happens with these equity lines is that uh, your rent goes in there, your wages go in there, and then your cost of living gets taken out, and your holiday home, and your holiday expenses get taken out of there, and you buy another car, and you pay your council rates and your war rates for your own house. So every time that uh, the loan goes down, for example, you put your wages in there, that level that it goes down by or down to is the now the level of the loan that's only deductible. So if I give an example, if you had a three hundred thousand dollar loan and your wages go in there for the month and it's five thousand, now the loan's at two ninety-five. Now if you start then pay your council rates for your own house. Three thousand dollars. It's gone down from two ninety five. It's now gone to two ninety eight.
0: Even if you took more money out or paid more money back, it just it continually drops down and down and down. The
1: deductible loan is still two ninety five, mm. even though. And look, over the five years that this gentleman had it, his loan was still was only like ten thousand dollars less than what he first borrowed, but because of this calculation, um, he'd lost a significant amount of deductibility on it.
0: So the theme there, and you've said it before, with regards to the offset account, is keep your investment loans clean keep them for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's the cost of holding your investment property.
1: Oh, look, absolutely, and if you're in a misfortune, and look, and sometimes even people, what they do is they might pay extra money off off their rental property, or the equity might increase on it, and they do some drawdowns on it. That has the same impact. Obviously not as bad as the equity line, but it has the same impact of reducing the percentage of the deductibility in the loan. So the advice we can give you there is If you can then identify the component of the loan which has now become private compared to the component of the loan which is deductible, you can refinance those two. For example, Mm, that was
0: a question I was going to ask. um, Can you fix this problem with a refinance? Yeah.
1: What you've got to do is work out exactly and be able to substantiate your, your calculations. To say right, okay, this four hundred thousand dollars loan. Look, I've used one hundred and twenty of it for uh, for private purposes. Then you refinance under two loans. One loan is for two hundred and eighty, which which retains the integrity of that loan. The other one's for one hundred and twenty. So you've still got a four hundred thousand dollars loans, but they're two loans. And now what you do is you concentrate all your efforts in reducing your non-deductible loan, and you quarantine your deductible loan for as long as you can, and that way you, you maximize your deductions uh, moving forward. But you can't undo what you've done.
0: Mm, That's really interesting. Carlo, I'm always fascinated when we we chat and the reason for that is I always find something that I'm doing wrong in that time and uh, I have to go back to my accountant which is luckily you to be able to make sure we're tidying things up going forward with tax time. And it is funny that every time we chat, there's always a new opportunity or a new saving involved. So I hope everyone listening today has a little think about what they're specifically doing with their interest expense with their loans, making sure that those loans are as clean as possible so that when they go to their accountant, hopefully it's Carlo Bordi, it's making his life a lot easier with regards to deducting those expenses on your behalf. Thanks a lot, Carlo. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!